Hey folks, it's Jeremy, the host of Blamo. Thanks so much for listening. This is a preview of one of our exclusive shows on Patreon. These are member-supported shows, meaning they only happen because of our incredible members and community. So check out a preview of the episode, and if you like it, consider joining us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Blamo, where we have tons of exclusive Blamo episodes, shows, our amazing Slack group, and we're adding new things for members all the time. If not, no worries, we still love you, and we literally have hundreds of episodes of Blamo all free for you to dive into. Thanks so much. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Die Worker Podcast. My name is Derek Guy, and my co-host is Peter Zotello. So, Seji McCarthy is an American bespoke shoemaker living in Japan. He makes some of the most beautiful shoes I've seen, not because they're the sleekest or the most sculpted shoes on earth, but because they somehow embody American style better than even Alden. American style has always been about ready-made tailoring and footwear. The styles are, let's say, built for comfort. Seji makes custom shoes that somehow have a lot of the shaping and detailing that you'd want to see at this price point, but without losing the spirit of what makes American style so appealing. He was recently in San Francisco for a trunk show, so Peter and I met up with him to talk about his career as a shoemaker, what American style means to him, and why there are so many craftspeople in Japan. Let's dive in. Welcome to San Francisco, Seji. Thank you very much. It's very nice to be here. It's, uh, is this your first time in the city? Uh, it's the first time in about 20 years. Oh, wow. You went to school in California. I did, and I came here for work in the early 2000s. Okay. And I don't think I've been back since. Yeah. You have um, an American accent. I do. But you live in Japan as, and work as a shoemaker. Yeah. How, how did you wind up in Japan? Um, I'm half Japanese. So I've lived in Japan previously. And um, the reason that uh, I'm living there this time is because in 2015, when I was thinking about uh, where to start my business. Uh, my mentor, um, a Japanese shoemaker, said I should think about doing it in Tokyo, which surprised me because there's a lot of competition there. Um, that being said, if you want to do your best work, you got to go where the best work is being done. So, um, and he also said you have a unique value proposition in terms of um, your American heritage. So I said, why not? And I tried it. Um, and that's why I have started there. And then it's been a good reception there. And I personally, just love living there. So um, that's why I'm there now. How long have you been making shoes? When did you start? I started the business in 2016. And um, I would say for the probably about five years before that, I was training, visiting workshops, doing a lot of stuff on my own. Um, it was quite difficult, which is one of the reasons that um, I met my mentor, because I just walked into his workshop one day and I said, I'm really struggling to do this on my own. Can you please help me? So you're saying you started to pick it up on your own just watching, what, YouTube videos or reading books? Or uh, I'm gonna how, sound, how did you, how did you I'm start gonna, that? I'm going to sound so old. Um, I, I don't think there was that much on YouTube about shoemaking back then. Um, now I think you you could maybe teach yourself shoemaking through YouTube. I think mm. you could, maybe not. Um, but no, then um, there are places that offer shoemaking courses. Um, there are a few in Italy. There are, there were some in Japan. There are full-time schools in Japan still. Um, and the reason I bumped into that mentor is because he was offering a night uh, school kind of program. And the original thought I had was, well, I'll go there. And then, you know, from 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. at night for however many months it takes, 
I'll do that. But he said, actually, you can just come to the workshop during the day. So I got a compressed version. Wait, I'm sorry. So you, you're originally from Philadelphia, is that right? I'm from the Philadelphia area, yeah. From the Philadelphia area. You went to school in California. Yes. And then you flew to Japan to learn how to make shoes? The winding path is graduated from college, being half Japanese, went to Japan to um, learn about that side. Um, spent three years there um, learning Japanese and then, um, sorry, teaching English and also learning Japanese. Uh, then I wanted to become a diplomat. So I moved to London and studied international relations. Then I realized I didn't want to be a diplomat because the U S went to war in Iraq. And, uh, I realized that all this time I was, uh, thinking about what I wanted to do. I kept watching NBA highlights and I said, you know what, why don't I try and work for the NBA? Because the NBA was becoming quite international at the time. Do you guys remember when Yao Ming yeah. joined the league? Lakers. Yeah. 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 Rockets. 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 Sorry. It's okay. Um, so that was a huge moment for, um, the internationalization of, um, sports. Anyway, so my friend just happened to be working at the NBA. I called him up and I said, look, I'm coming home from, uh, London, um, where I was studying international relations and I want to work for the NBA. And he said, well, I'm leaving my job. So why don't you come interview? And, um, I interviewed and, uh, I got a job as a business consultant there for a while. And then eventually I went to, uh, China to work for the, um, on the Olympics, which the NBA kind of helps run. So that was the kind of business consultant, sports business consultant path. And then I kind of did what I had set out to do. Um, there was, it was a bit more disappointing than I thought it was going to be. Um, and so I said, what do I want to do now? And um, I've always loved shoes. So I thought that maybe I wanted to be a sneaker designer. I uh, talked to some people from you know, Adidas and stuff like that. And they told me, you have no design experience. If you join, you're going to be in marketing. You'll be doing the same kind of work. So I said, okay, I got to go to design school. So I went to Italy to this kind of uh, pattern making design school. But within two or three days of being there, there was a book called um, Handmade Shoes by Laszlo Vash. Yeah. Read it cover to cover and pretty much knew already that that's what I wanted to do. And um, also went to a Berluti store and tried on a pair of uh, single monks and... Um, it was one of the first pairs of well-made shoes that I'd worn in my life. And I remember the feeling. It was that light bulb moment. I put it on, my back straightened up. I looked in the mirror and I said, this feeling is what I want to give to guys. This is, this is what I want to do. I don't just want to design. I want to make the shoes. Um, and then after that was the whole 10 years of you know, grind to, I guess, get to where I am now. So it's been a winding path. And then, so then from there, then you went to Japan and then you studied under different people and yeah and then now you have your own company and i bumped around a bit on europe to some shoemakers and um i took a course in england um with uh it's called carrie ducker yeah is the is the bespoke operation and they they were doing a kind of two three week intensive shoemaking course that's the first time i made shoes um and that was great um and then begged at some workshops, got a little bit of experience, largely self-taught, a lot of struggle. And then visiting my grandmom in Japan is when I walked into Hiro Yanaimachi's workshop and just said to him, for the love of God, please help me. And um, I guess he saw that I was serious about it um, and that it wouldn't be wasted effort of him to try and help me. And in the end, you know, I helped him with stuff as well, kind of um, that because that's when Japanese shoemaking started to get well-known to the outside world. And um, people were coming to his workshop, so I helped translate his website into English, stuff like that. So, um, Around what year was that? 2012? I was just going to say, that's when I started getting interested in his work. Yeah. I must have been reading your translations. It was funny because um, 
I, when I went there, um, Kichiro, who is um, one of the shoemakers there, said to me, I could never imagine that a, a non-Japanese would want to come to a Japanese workshop to learn this craft, which is originally from, you know, the West. Um, and I said, yeah, Japanese shoemaking is, is some of the best in the world. Um, and then it really did open up right around that time. So it was great that I could actually provide some value to them. Um, I, have a, I have a question of this is, has always, I've always wondered this. So in British shoemaking, everyone eventually works for, for the few, I don't know how many are left now, like four or five large firms. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas in Japan, you have all of these very small makers that are scattered around all over the place and they're very self-contained. I don't think there's an app, the same app worker system. It's very, it seems to be very self-contained. Why, um, why is it that in Japan, you have all of these independent artisans who essentially work on their own, whereas in London, you have this huge outworker network system and this consolidation, you think? It's definitely down to how the industry must have formed over there and then how the industry came to take shape in Japan, which has a different, you know, culture um, and way of operating. I, I guess I can only speak to, in Japan, I think the vision is to um, you know, have a self-contained workshop. And I don't think out workers and that whole system is as prevalent. Um, I think people like to make things in-house and have that, um, for lack of a better word, quality control or... Um, uh, consistency. Um, I think I, I can imagine that being a big part of the Japanese culture. Um, just knowing that everything you put out has a certain, um, for lack of a better word, standard in terms of fitting the house style and the the make. Whereas um, I think in other cultures, there's more appreciation for maybe quirkiness, but maybe not as systematized. And both ways of making things have good points and bad points. But I would imagine for Japanese craftspeople, consistency is a huge thing. Well, one of the things in, in London, from my understanding, is that the outworker wages are very low. So if you were only to work for one firm, you wouldn't make enough to live, essentially. It, it would not be a living wage. Yeah. So many of them are spread across multiple firms in order yeah. to just pay rent. Yeah. Do you feel that, that pay structure is different in Japan? I don't know if it is, to be honest. I think um, shoemaking is a pretty tough gig in Japan as well. And I want to be careful here because I don't want to come off as disparaging or saying one system has it locked down and the other one doesn't. But um, I think shoemaking usually takes, Japanese shoemakers will probably take a bit more time. So, and they're not getting paid that much either. So I definitely don't want to say that Japanese shoemakers are making more than their counterparts abroad. So then what stops an outworker from just taking jobs from another company? There definitely are people who um, make shoes for multiple um, firms. I just imagine that for the young craftsperson starting out, the vision is to do your own thing. I think that's a big part of what being a craftsman is over there, um, rather than joining. And and let's think of it this way, too. There really are no established firms in terms of having that long history. Um, so if you're starting out as a shoemaker in the UK, I think John Lobb uh, cleverly... Um, you know, foster before. Those are very aspirational. I don't know if you have that same kind of thing. Plus, in Japan, there's kind of that appreciation for the firms that have that legacy over there. But if you don't have it in Japan, where you're growing up, maybe you want to create that for yourself. So I don't think there's that um, that system in place. My other question about the Japanese, not just in terms of Japanese shoemaking, but all throughout Japan, you have 
seems to be a larger number of tailors, shoemakers, leather goods workers, just craftspeople in general. Why are there so many more craftspeople in Japan doing bespoke arts versus, I mean, you're from the United States, so uh, New York, San Francisco, Los Angeles, even I think compared to London, when we're talking compared, you know, to the total population, you have a higher number uh, of craftspeople in Japan for that population than other places. I think craftsmanship and um, things made by people, there's just a very long... Want to hear the rest? Listen to the full episode and many more other exclusive episodes over on our Patreon. Visit patreon.com forward slash Blamo to sign up and join the Blam fam. You also get access to our exclusive members only Slack group where we chat about this and a ton of other things. So head over to patreon.com forward slash Blamo and we'll see you there.